friends, you're here. This is the final chapter. And it's a count-up, or a countdown. And unfortunately, it's not a great story for David, but it's a good story of the Lord's mercy. But we've made it together. We've gotten to the end of the road, and now we're finishing up the entire books of Samuel. So this story is part of a chiasm, a part of a literary structure that started a few chapters ago where that started um, with the story of David having to clean up from a crime that Saul committed as king. And now we're going to see this story where David's committed a crime as a king and there's uh, consequences for it. And David's going to seek the Lord and find mercy again. And I'm not totally sure, you know, these are all uh, opinions, but I wonder if, you know, we've had this whole story of the Davidic promise coming to David and then him falling into his great sin with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah. And their big question mark is, can God find a king that he doesn't need to discipline, right? This whole question, will the Davidic promise stand? And so I'm wondering if we're finishing off the book with a story of David sinning again and finding the Lord's mercy as as the last flavor of the book being God will show mercy. That's what's going to happen. God will show mercy. If you're wondering what's going to happen with the Davidic kingship, ultimately we're trusting on a God who has grace and shows mercy. So verse 1 of chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. All right, this is a theological conundrum for, for us. Um, God is angry at Israel, and so he lets David or incites David against Israel but with this numbering. If you go and check out in Chronicles, I think it even says that Satan tempted David. And so we have this theological conundrum. God ultimately is sovereign and in control even over the sinful inclinations of people. Just think of the story of Balaam and his donkey. But here he's um, incited David against Israel by doing a census. And if you remember, there were censuses in the Old Testament in the days of Moses, but those were led by the Lord. And this one, uh, it looks like David's doing it. And in his heart, when he's doing it, he's not necessarily doing it in submission to the Lord with the Lord as king, but with himself as king wanting to number the people for his own pride and amongst all that God is seeing the sin amongst the nation itself and so there's multiple divisions here Israel is divided against God so God divides the king against Israel with this um, this command that David does in sin and we're going to see that in verse 10 that David sees that he sinned against the Lord and what he's done verse 2 so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who is with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Bathsheba, number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king will still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? So Joab sees that there's something wrong with this. And Joab is hit and miss with his faith, but in this moment, this is kind of a better moment of Joab. Ultimately, he's he's kind of more flesh than faith. But in this moment, he, he can tell that something's off here, and so he challenges David's decision. 
Verse 4, But the king's word prevailed against Job and the commanders of the army. So Job and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they crossed the Jordan, began from Aror, and from the city that is in the middle of the valley, towards Gad, and on to Jazer. And then they came to Gilead, and to Kadesh, in the land of the Hittites. And they came to, to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon. And they came to the fortress of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the Negev of Judah to Bathsheba. So they're tracking the movement of these census takers. So, when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king in Israel. Excuse me, they, I just had lunch. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. So, a few connections here. The last chapter ended with numbering the the three and the 30 mighty men. And so, there is a bit of a thematic connection here that David is now counting all the mighty men of Israel. And there's a bit of a theological connection because this is the kind of like the end of the book of King David. And what happens in a census. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm dying. Um, and do you remember with Jesus, when was he born? Well, he was born in the middle of a census too. And that was the king of, though they called him Caesar. They didn't call anybody in Rome king. They hated kings. But Caesar was numbering uh, the whole world in a census. And that's when the son of David is born. Anyhow, um, they complete the census because of David's persistence, even over some kind of resistance from the military leaders. And then in verse 10, it says, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. This kind of reminds us after Nathan's rebuke of David, how he was convicted of his sin with Bathsheba. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Maybe that connects with the three from the last chapter. There's often little connections there. and We're meant to see these stories as being woven together by little details. Even if they're not uh, chronologically ordered, they're still signs that it's purposeful placements. Three things I offer to you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what, shall I, what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So this sounds like an emperor rebuking a king. So God is the king of all the worlds, and he's ultimately the king of Israel, and he has David as the sub-king, and David has exerted his own power against the Lord with this census. And remember, it started with Israel having some kind of breakdown of fellowship or faithfulness to the Lord. And so now the punishment for David's rebellion is going to hit the Israel that God has a problem with in the first place. And David's in great distress. He's a good king. And he says, you know what, I'd rather be under God's uh, 
God's hand than man's hand. And so he doesn't want the famine, which would weaken Israel and make them susceptible to invasion. And he doesn't want the battle losses where um, the people of Israel are going to be killed by men who tend to be less quick to forgive than God. He wants to come under God's direct punishment, which he sees as the pestilence, hoping that he can uh, seek God's mercy. Verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Bathsheba, which is often a sign of like all of Israel, 70,000 men, which is really terrible. When the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough, now stay your hand. So David is right. God could have kept going there, but God decided on his own to stop. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So this is a high priestly prayer. It's also a reminder of Judah from the book of Genesis when uh, he's before Pharaoh and sorry, he's before Joseph, but thinking Joseph is an Egyptian, he says, you know, don't keep Benjamin. They think that Benjamin's done this stealing thing. Don't keep Benjamin. Instead, let the punishment fall on me. And so um, David has this high priestly self-sacrificial impulse. And even the apostle Paul later has this. He's like, oh, for my people Israel, I wish I could be cut off from them that they might be saved. And ultimately, this is the heart of Christ who looks at the people of Israel as sheep gone astray, even in their sin, he sees them as sheep gone astray in his shepherd's heart. David being a real shepherd, Jesus being the true shepherd, the shepherd's heart is let me bear the brunt of the punishment to save the people. And so we see the heart of David, who is a prophecy of the true son of David, who's going to come and want to bear the punishment for his church. Verse 18, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Aruna went out, paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. And so David is going again in kind of like in a prophetic picture, he's going outside the city of Jerusalem to offer sacrifice to avert the wrath of God from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the lord your God accept you. So Aruna is a good servant. We have no reason to believe he's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He's willing to show great hospitality and chesed by providing for David the offering. Verse 24, but the king said to Aruna, no, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. There's a great line. I won't offer an offering that costs me nothing. That is the heart of worship and heart of an offering, something that will cost you. Um, So David is being like an Abel from the book of Genesis, where he's offering up the best portions of his lambs and not just some of what he has, like um, Cain did. He wants to offer something that costs him. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I know, I have no idea if that's a good price. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Well, congratulations, you've made it through First and Second Samuel. Well done. And so wonderful that the book ends with a self-sacrificial king averting the wrath of God from his people. This is so prophetic. The more I think about it, the more like, I, I hadn't really noticed it until just now, but this is so prophetic of Christ. And how would they know, you know? But just in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit inspiring the prophet who's writing this book to put this story at the end, a reminder that even with a great king, the people sin, and even the great king sinned himself. Ultimately, we're depending on the mercies of God. That's all we have is that we can trust God, that even in a moment of wrath, we can seek him for mercy. And prophetically, this story looks forward to the day when a true king would come to a place for sacrifice to end the wrath of God against his people with a heart that it would cost him and not others that this sacrifice would be performed and going all the way not to just give some shekels of silver but to lay down his own life as a sacrifice to rescue the people of God and restore them to a place where their prayers are heard again. What a beautiful way to end this book and a beautiful picture of Christ our true king who is our worship leader our defender full of might and power and the one who brings the offering that makes peace what an awesome messiah amen